Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Miles Podcast on this very rainy and thunderstorm kind of day here in Wisconsin. Um, it is springtime, so that going to be needed. But um, so today I have Clayton Briggins, uh, and he recently got his PhD in counseling and has done some research about kind of trauma and infertility and its impact on ones like mental health. And as we all know, this podcast is all about that. So I saw him on, I think it was LinkedIn, maybe. I don't remember where, but I came across him and there's not a lot of men there in this field. So I had to have him as a guest. So welcome, Clayton. And I appreciate you being on here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, and I think it was LinkedIn um, that we we got connected. And, and we were talking just before we started recording here about, um, yeah, there's not a lot of men looking at this and and looking at you know infertility how it affects men how it affects our relationships whether that be you know male factor infertility unexplained infertility uh whether you know whatever it is how it affects us in our identities psychologically emotionally and so yeah when i saw you posting things about this on linkedin i was like hey another one (laughs) right uh so that was i'm glad you reached out man yeah yeah definitely i mean the more the merrier. I mean, for sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious, especially people that are in the field, like or people that have had some sort of you know experience with it. How did you learn about infertility? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I learned about infertility because it kicked me in the teeth. Um, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, was, <laughs> I so appreciated Stephen. When you said before we started recording, you said that, you know, people should know about infertility and how it affects men before their own diagnosis. And um, and that's why we're doing this podcast here where we're talking today. That's why you do yep. you know, do this. And obviously it's to spread the word. And um, so I learned about this going through my own diagnosis um, and gosh, it was so hard. It was so hard going through infertility you know, my, we were diagnosed first. It was unexplained infertility, right? That's how it happens for so many couples. Yeah. Um, And so we were doing all these other tests and it turns out it was in early in 2019, no, excuse me, late 2018 when we were diagnosed with male factor infertility. And I can remember Stephen, when the nurse came in to share the news that it was male factor infertility you know, my, my world just, I mean, I, it just fell apart. You know, my, I felt like I got pushed in the gut. The room was spinning. I remember the smell of the room. I remember what I was wearing. I remember, you know, everything about the nurse and like, you know, what she was wearing and everything. And just like, it was like my body was just responding to this trauma because my wife had gone through so much intrusive medical testing and it was just assumed, even by medical staff, even though we loved our our infertility you know, specialists that we worked with, they were wonderful and knowledgeable. Still, it was like it was just assumed that it was her um, mm-hmm. that she was having difficulty getting pregnant because of something biologically wrong. I guess if you want to say with her, yeah. it was me, um, and so that left me feeling guilty and shamed, embarrassed, 
you know, emasculated, you know, all these different things and, you know, things that other men tell me that they feel too. So after that, you know, uh, Stephen, it was just like, like, man, my, my cape is 15 feet long and I'm going to research infertility and I'm going to tell the world about it, you know, because um, when something affects you like this, it's, uh, it's life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of left with like you experience this extreme hardship and this trauma mm. and you're almost left wondering, I'm like, what can I do with this? Yeah. How do I make meaning of this? Like, and I think that's especially important for men because there's been some research that has shown that if men can find like meaning in whatever that journey was for them, like that really helps him to kind of grieve and cope with the journey, you know, making an understanding, you know, of it, you know, something, you know, for me was, you know, doing this podcast and advocating, you know, if I would have had that experience of fertility, I don't think I would have ever been exposed to the, this world and have this experience. Right. If I didn't have this experience, would I be doing this podcast? Probably not. Right. You know, right. Like, would I be trying to advocate more discussion? Probably not. I would have no awareness of it. So kind of sounds similar to you like you're just kind of figuring out like i had this experience what can i do with it yeah yeah and you know to that point steven uh so i'm on the healthcare task force for the institute of reproductive grief care they're out of san diego mm -hmm. folks you know if, if you have listeners steven that are struggling with infertility or reproductive loss this, they are wonderful look them up they got great resources and they uh we just had our first symposium uh last month and I got up there on stage and I was talking about how me doing this research on infertility and how it affects couples, especially, and also, you know, specializing in counseling couples in my private practice. Yeah. You know, honestly, Stephen, I feel like it's me punching back. It's like the, the trauma hit me and my family, but man, I'm punching back as hard as I can, you know, yeah. and then it goes back to the meaning you talked about. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some wonderful researchers like Lori Pash, Kyra Sullivan, who have done research on meaning making in the midst of infertility and how that is just can be so healing when we find that meaning in our suffering and turn around and, and, and it, it becomes this beautiful thing, you know, yeah, um, beautiful meaning that we make out of it. So I think that's, that's huge. And it's huge for guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because we're left with this ambiguity of yeah. wanting to resolve something that really doesn't have an answer to why. Yes. Like why? Because right. I, I just remember when I was diagnosed, like that was one of the first things I would question was like, why did I have a low count? Like mm. there was no real explanation, just that you have a low count. Yep not a reason why like what would be contributing factors and then you're kind of left with trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense right and then you find those patterns that you think is a pattern and it really is not you know mm -hmm. um, and i think that's with even with loss as well you know with miscarriage i mean you see a number of women that are just trying to figure out why did this miscarriage happen? Was it something I ate? Was it something I exercised too hard one day, you know, right. or whatever else like they kind of come up with them. I and the reality is there really is no explanation. 
mm-hmm. you know, at least one that we can pinpoint at mm-hmm. this point in time. You know, maybe down the road when we're doing more research and, you know, maybe there will be answers someday, but right. there may not be. Right. And, you know, and that, go, and that I think that connects even to the, the shame we feel, um, both men and women. You mentioned yeah. that. You know, women when there's a when there's a miscarriage and it's and it's I don't want to use the word random to 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 minimize anybody's loss, but it, when it's just kind of this unexplained loss that happens, yeah. and you know, uh, women that have come to my practice and I've talked with them, they they sometimes they feel that guilt, like my body was not a safe haven yeah. for my baby, and what's wrong with my body? Why can't my body keep my baby safe? And so for men. You know, I think that especially when male factor infertility is on on the table, it's this, you know, kind of this, this emasculating, like, you know, did I do something wrong for me? You know, Stephen, I looked at my history and was like, was my diet just terrible? Like, you know, I grew up, you know, close to a farm in Kentucky is like, was there pesticides? What, you know, what was it? And I just wanted to answer. And, And to your point, Stephen, there usually there isn't. And there's all this ambiguity out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's really not a whole lot of research on male infertility, like the medical side of it. There's not a whole lot compared to female reproductive systems. I mean, with OBGYNs, there's just such a knowledge base built, you know, but there was, you know, to me, I also think about how culture really just shapes research too, because back in the day, like, like you were saying before, infertility was considered a woman's issue right so in their mind why would we research the male factor side of it when it's a woman's issue Mm. and like how it gets ingrained and i want to i want to say that it was actually female like female women doctors that actually first started looking at male reproduction and Mm. andrology and the science behind it and I think partly because I partly it is by speculation is that they knew that it wasn't it takes two to tango. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? yeah. And <laughs> like right. no one's really looked at this side. Like, why are we not looking at it? We're gonna look at it. And yeah. And there's even people nowadays that don't even realize male for infertility is a thing. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. know, it just gets so ingrained. I am hoping someday that we can change that and like people have more awareness that this is it's not easy for everyone. Mm. You know, you know, my wife and I went to a chiropractor thinking that this could help, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, and I know that, you know, chiropractic medicine, alternative medicine. Um, I was just actually talking to an acupuncturist last week who's in the same building as my private practice and we're hoping to connect to have like, you know, it's more of a holistic approach for people. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of folks like us who have gone through infertility, you know, seek these alternative treatments and there's some science behind it that they, that they're helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But when we were interacting with this chiropractor, he talked to my wife the whole time about running tests on her and like adjusting her. And I wasn't even in the room to him, you know, it was yeah. like, it was like, and we were struggling with male factor infertility. So, so to your point, there's always kind of this like underlying assumption that yeah. there's something well, wrong with the female partner. Right. Well, and like I've said, this in other episodes, like 
to give you a really great like family example, I had a former coworker of mine and she was in the workstation right in front of me. And we would often have conversations about infertility, you know, cause like her brother-in-law, like, and sister-in-law, like we're going through IVF and had done a number of transfers that have not worked. And, you know, so like we've, you know, have kind of talked, you know, over the last couple of years about like just infertility and what that's like. And, you know, I had switched positions. So we were all going out for drinks afterwards, you know, like on my last day. And so her and her husband, I came out for drinks and stuff. And it was, it was funny because he's like, I heard you had a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I do. It's like, but like my coworker, like, like she won't tell me what the podcast about you know she gives it to my brother but he doesn't give it to me and like well like this is what my podcast is about you know it's about the male potential infertility and he was like oh that makes sense of why she gave it to my brother you know and we were just kind of just talking about like just like some of the advocacy stuff and we were kind of talking through and stuff and he was just like you know, they've had a number of transfers that have failed. And like, I was always focused on his wife and supporting and being like a good brother, you know, to support her, his wife. And I said, it wasn't until my coworker asked my brother or his brother, how are you doing? Mm. He said, he didn't realize that I've been so focused on his wife. I forgot to ask how he's doing mm. as a brother, you know, like, and like wow. that hit me. It, of like, I should be asking him, you know, like how he's doing. And it's like, I just didn't recognize it, mm. you know? And I yeah. think as a male, like we want to be helpful and be the protector and be a support that we often neglect our own self-care and don't get asked, you know? And I'm sure that there's been times where doctors have asked them, you know, especially like after a miscarriage or anything like that, you know, like they've asked, you know, how he's doing, but I think men are so focused on their partners yep. that they don't want to acknowledge their own stuff that they're just focused on supporting, you know, thinking right. we have to be this solid rock and there's times and places for that. Mm-hmm. But I often see that men often neglect, like I said, their own self care, that this is hard for them as well. Man, Stephen, that's, 110% resonates with me, the research I've done. You just basically laid out my dissertation. So in my, in my dissertation research, yeah. uh, I, I, I looked at couples. So it, it was 902 individuals in couple relationships that had gone through infertility. And I looked at their, you know, the emotional impact, the relational impact of infertility, how satisfied they were in their in their couple relationship and different different behaviors that they might be engaging in, you know, that aligns with Gottman method, couple of therapy. I'm a level three Gottman therapist. Okay. Um, and so, you know, looking at those specific things that might predict couple satisfaction, et cetera, um, through infertility. And what I found, Stephen, was that men actually reported um, that they were more socially isolated than women in their infertility experience. Um, and they also indicated that they were less satisfied in their couple relationship as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you look, if you read in between the lines there, Stephen, you can see a lot of kind of this, you know, Western culture of masculinity, right? Because mm-hmm. 
know, a lot of times, so I'm, you know, identify as a white male, but, you know, growing up in that kind of a white culture and growing up male, there's this almost like you stuff your needs down uh, for your family and for your, for your, your spouse and, you know, mixed gender couples for your wife. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, so that's something I see a lot in my, in my private practice work is that men, when I talk about, you know, to men, I'll say like, so what, what has infertility been like for you? Tell me about your experience and what is this, what was this loss like for you? They may say something like, oh, it's hard, but I just want to support her. So it's like, there's a recognition that there's a loss, Mm -hmm. but no, 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 Like that's like, it's her going through the loss and I'm going to support her. So men, men almost reckon, like, let me say this like this, I guess men typically fail to recognize that they are grieving or that they are going through a loss because they're so used or we are so used to stuffing our needs down and just bucking up and being the, the knight on, on the horse and we're going to rescue our spouses, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of my work as a couple therapist for couples going through this is, is recognizing that, you know, and, and mixed gender couples that men and women can both grieve at the same time. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Support each other in the grief. And, uh, and it's okay as a man to have an emotional need. And it's even okay to voice that need with other dudes, you know, yeah. and it's, it's especially important to do that. Um, so I think that you really, you really hit the nail on the head there, Stephen, when you talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. It, but I think it's okay. And something that I have, I've learned through doing the podcast. And the one thing I love about this is I learned something to do every single guest I've had, you know, and there was one individual in particular, um, Ellie Weinstein, you know, he had made a really excellent point of uh, having your support system. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean that your sole support has to be from your spouse or partner. Right. You right. know, he said the, the support you get from your partner, your spouse, is different than the support you, you would get yes. from your dad from your mom, you know, from a friend, you know, it's just like, there's, there's different levels of support Mm. and it's important to have all kinds of support around this. Right. You know, and being able to have someone to vent to, to listen to, you know, whether that's another individual that's gone through it, Mm. you know, sometimes it's helpful. It was helpful for me because I think at that time, like we were going to one church, and I remember talking or emailing our pastor and saying, like, hey, you know, we're really struggling with this. Like, you know, anybody that's gone through this and there happened to be another couple in the church that had done IVF. Oh, yeah. And so I was able to kind of join the Bible study and kind of say, like, hey, this is this is crazy. <laughs> like, I think yeah. for me, like the hardest thing going through it was witnessing, like, just the emotional effect that it had on my wife. Like she, like, not to go on detail, but she had a rough time. I mean, like, as probably any other woman would have, you know, mm-hmm. but being there, like, and having to witness her so distraught mm. was difficult because I'm like, I'm at that point, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to be the positive person, like, sober mining, you know, the strength base. That's the social worker in me, you know, yeah. but at that point, though, like I could not recognize that that was very minimizing, like to yes. her experience. 
right. of how horrible this is. Mm. And then you put on hormone shots and on top of that. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Goodness. You know, that, that just really landed on me in a, in a big way, Stephen, because um, I, so my wife and I wrote a, what's called a dual ethnography. It's like a, it's a very scientific way to kind of tell your story. And so we, we published mm. this in the the journal of couple and relationship counseling. It got featured on Forbes. So people want to search Forbes. Awesome. Um, yeah. Forbes reproductive trauma. It should come up. And uh, yeah. So in that story, we talked about how my wife started grieving really after the third or fourth failed pregnancy test. And for me, and you, you kind of talked about this, Stephen, for me, I wanted to stay positive because really what it was, was that I was uncomfortable with her grief. I was uncomfortable with the intensity of her emotions and it would make me anxious. And so I would try to just be positive to, to throw it to the side and it took my wife several, you know, me, you know, here I am a therapist and, you know, and, and getting a PhD in, in counseling and I'm minimizing yeah. my wife's, you know, emotions because I'm so uncomfortable with the intensity of it in the moment. And it took her over several occasions, Stephen, to say like, that's not what I need right now. I need you to just see me and be with me. I don't need you to fix this. I don't need you to provide an answer. Um, I just need you to see what I'm feeling possibly name it and just be with me. And, and that was huge. And uh, we talk about that in our, in our duo ethnography. And when we tell our story to other couples, you know, it, how important it was for me to kind of change from this, you know, intellectualizing it, you know, so mm-hmm. saying like, Oh, well, we still have plenty of time. Like the doctor is hopeful, you know, so all these kind of facts that stay up here and, you know, for your viewers that can't see, like I'm pointing to my head, you know, like how we intellectualize it. But when we go through infertility, we need empathy. We need, we need to be in the heart instead of the mind, Um, which is why I think my clients appreciate the fact that I use metaphors and therapy so much where, you know, we talk about, you know, like for me, I described my experience going through fertility, like I'm, like I'm on a boat, this tiny little rowboat in the middle of the ocean. I have no idea where I'm going and it's a storm and the waves are going to crash over me. But I'll look behind me in the boat and there's my wife. And I know that she's going through that too. And so, yeah, so like really connecting to the emotional space of your, of your partner is huge as men. Uh, because as men, it's going to be really easy for us to stay in that intellectual intellectualization of that pain, you know? Yeah. And I think there's something to the way I think about, like, in social work and in therapy, right? We're helping people all day. Right. right? It right. is so much easier to help other people with their stuff. And then when you look at your own stuff, you're just like... You know, like it's cut off, right? It's just like yes. into like you're great. It's just like if I would only just take my own advice that I give other people, maybe this would be a little bit better, right? Yep. And you know, and that's another thing too that I hope with this podcast as well is that we've all been there, like we've gone through it, mm-hmm. and there are things that like I would have done completely differently. You know, that I wish I could go back, but we can't. We're human. You know, like we make mistakes, you know, we're not perfect. If there's ways that we can give little bits of advice of saying like, hey, 
when she's that distressed, now's probably not the time to be giving positive feedback of saying like, oh, we have another cycle. Oh, we had this amount of, right. you know, legs retrieved. We, you know, just sit there, you know, like with them. And sometimes it's just even to say, like, I just really have no words to say right now. Like, I don't even know what to say. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You know, and acknowledging that, like, this is, I mean, office thing. And like, I can also remember um, there's a psychologist out in, I think, Maryland now, like Julie um, Bindeman, that has posted something on LinkedIn. And, or maybe I did, I don't know, but she responded and said that, you know, oftentimes when you think about infertility, this is really truly the couple's first significant event. Mm. in their lives like they have to navigate like this is mm. you know if you think about like the usual case for relationships like you get engaged and then you get married right. and then you have the honeymoon and you have this period of some people wait a couple years to have kids and then mm-hmm. it's really the first crisis that comes up as a couple that you have to navigate yeah and i love the use of metaphors i, I remember driving home one day and I could visibly see the fog line. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was just like, and I, for some reason, I instantly thought, this is like infertility. Mm. Not supposed to take pictures while you're driving, but I did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I took a picture while I was driving. And then I later, when I got home, I posted it on Instagram and then put in big captions, whatever it says, infertility. Mm. Talk about like, being diagnosed with infertility is like you're driving into this fog, this heavy, thick fog that you have no idea what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know whether or not there's a cliff. There's You don't know whether or not there's a hill. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. You're in this fog and in this you can't see, but you're in the present moment. Right. Exactly. So that, that calls to mind, uh, there's a psychologist in California, her name is Dr. Janet Jaffe, and she... Yep, I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know Dr. Jaffe? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I read her um, the reproductive trauma book for one of my independent studies. Yeah, that's yeah, a good one. That's it a is, good one. Yeah. for sure. Gosh, I use that all the time in therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she talks about the reproductive story, right? Yep. And how, you know we had this kind of unconscious prediction or this unconscious, I guess, vision for our lives and how we are going to navigate adulthood and how we are going to navigate family and and parenthood when we get older, you know, there's like the, of course there's the stereotypical like girls play, you know, house and like Mm -hmm. little boys, you know, play cops and robbers and they're like defending their home, you know, again, you know, kind of stereotypical, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you know, it's this, she calls it this tapestry that we weave and how we see, uh, we see adults in our lives and we see how, you know, well, to become a successful adult, you start your own family. Right. And Mm -hmm. so my wife, I hope she doesn't, I didn't ask permission to share this, but I hope she's okay with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, she would always say like, gosh, I plan to get married at this age, have our first child by this age. You know, and that's a part of her reproductive story and the story mm-hmm. that she wanted for herself and wanted for our family. And then, of course, infertility just causes this big tear in that tapestry. And so then we're yeah. left with how do we manage the tear 
how do we keep this tapestry or accept even like accept it as beautiful still, even though there's a yeah. tear? And so, you know, a lot of times family planning for, you know, those of us who are really rooted in our reproductive story, we want to navigate parenthood with a map, you know, like we have this place we're going to next and this place we're going to next and infertility just rips that map up and we're forced to work with a compass. Like we're just, like you mentioned in the fog, like you just have to be in the moment and just be in that present moment and you've got your compass and you know, you're, I'm generally going North, I think. Yeah. So we're kind of going in the right direction, I think, but I am simply here now in this moment with my spouse, you know, and we're navigating this together. We don't know what's next, but we're doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part of that story that we kind of weave for ourselves has to do with this narrative that getting pregnant is easy. Mm-hmm. because a lot of us who have gone through sex ed in school at least in the public school i don't know about private but in the public school lies they instill this idea that you could have sex once and get pregnant right Which now for some, the, for some people right, right. the intention is is there right i mean like they don't i mean none of us want in pregnancy right right but it instills this idea that getting pregnant is really easy. So right. you have this fear base of like, I don't want to get pregnant at this age. I don't want to get pregnant at this age, you know? And like for men, like, I don't want to get a girl pregnant at this age, you know? Right. right. And it really, you know, kind of puts the responsibility, but uses fear as the tactic of responsibility because mm. we all know what happens when you know when you have teen pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But when you've been avoiding getting pregnant for years, right, and then you're just like, oh, at this age, like we're going to start family planning, like we're going to have a child, and I'm going to get pregnant within two months, boom, right. we're done. Right. And when that does not happen, you're left speechless. You're just like, what? Like I've I've been yeah. I've been avoiding this for so long. Right. Why? <laughs> you know, like. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I mean, like it just it left me kind of figure out the male fertility thing because I, I will admit, like I didn't even realize male fertility existed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until that. Like I got tested, I was like, okay, whatever. You know, like, but I can vividly remember thinking in my head when I was getting like doing the sperm analysis. I just remember in my head thinking, I hope to God it's not me, mm-hmm. because like I would feel so guilty. Right. getting in the way of her dream of being a mother. Mm, yes. And when we found out that it was like low count, it just like I said, like it was, I want to say, and it was a number of years ago, it could have been different, but I just remember finding out while my wife was doing her HSG. Oh, wow. And obviously that was not that's not a great test for when like it, there's a yes. lot of cramping a lot of painful yes. i mean like it was not easy but for some reason they decided now's the time to tell her that's low count mm-hmm. and that left us like wondering you know got into like a little bit of an argument and like figuring out like what was it like what what did i do mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and no one's perfect, you know, by all means. And I was even left thinking of like, what, what did I do? You know, like, 
you know, part of it was wondering, you know, I have ADHD, took Adderall as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was underweight because of the side effects of Adderall. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, what was that like? I mean, like, what's that experience? Because we know if for women, like, if they're underweight or overweight, that impacts their fertility. But is it the same for men? And I don't even know if that's even been looked at. Right. You I know, because a lot of kids are prescribed Adderall, you know, and right. how much does your weight during puberty, like, how much does that impact your reproductive system in development? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that's the research mind <laughs> you know, that I always have. I'm always looking at it like, well, what about this? But yeah, uh, yeah so, so speaking of research, mm-hmm. I'm interested and in maybe you could share about some of the research that you have done. Yeah, yeah. So I've published four articles um, so far. Um, my dissertation, I think I can divide, you know, into, into several. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of my work, Stephen, has been about finding how we can navigate infertility as a couple and essentially change um, how we react to our spouse in the moment. And, and got my method couple therapy, we call it being flooded when we get mm-hmm. emotionally flooded. And um, I suspect, Stephen, that's what was happening to me when my wife was having these really intense emotional grief trauma reactions. And I was feeling flooded, like, you know, my emotions Mm -hmm. were running high, my anxiety was running high, so I was not able to really think straight. Um, And so when we're flooded, we typically respond to a partner in this kind of like, what the hell was that? (laughs) You know, we we just kind of, oh my gosh, like, you know, this emotion is too big for me right now. What the hell was that? Yeah. But my research and, and my practice too is changing that. What the hell was that to what was that to going from like more of a curiosity stance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've looked at emotion focused couple therapy and working with the, with these couples that are going through infertility and, and, and a lot of that work um, and, and that writing has been about, you know, structured ways that we can interact as a couple where we are validating each other. And again, staying in the heart and and not intellectualizing it. Right. Yeah. We're staying in the heart. We're recognizing each other's trauma and grief. And some of my other work has been about you know sharing our story, my story that my wife and I have. And just recently, I published a piece in Psychological Trauma. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're one of the, the top trauma journals out there. And I was really excited that they accepted uh, my publication because yeah. I just had this thought Stephen, or this feeling that they're not going to look at this paper about reproductive trauma and infertility and recognize it as trauma they're going to reject this but they did accept it so you know that shows me that the psychological community the counseling community is really really starting to kind of take heed to people like us who've experienced this infertility who've experienced loss Um, and so that study uh, was from, uh, I sampled 281 people, mostly women, almost entirely women. And when mm-hmm. I did, Stephen was, I just asked them about their reproductive trauma experiences. So infertility, miscarriage, stillbirth, complicated pregnancy, premature birth, all those things. And then took a sample of their trauma symptoms and then compared that to another group of like what we call a norm group. So a group yeah. of people that haven't gone through 
reproductive trauma or any type of trauma that they report and their trauma symptoms. And what I found was pretty staggering, Stephen. So 43% of the people in the reproductive trauma sample had symptoms which would equate to a provisional diagnosis of PTSD. So it's nearly half, nearly half of the people that experience reproductive trauma are experiencing PTSD-like symptoms. And for those of us who have gone through infertility, especially what I saw was that we were, that folks like us who've experienced infertility show this avoidance behavior. So we avoid topics of pregnancy. We avoid the Facebook post and we avoid it so much that it becomes this like, almost like a phobia almost that we will not engage in these things because it triggers our trauma and I've experienced enough pain. So I'm not going to re-experience this again. I don't need right. to do that. Um, and so my um, hope is that can inform us as, as therapists, you know, our, our work with these individuals and our work with these couples where it can be more trauma informed. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's extremely important. It could, and a lot of clients that I see, Stephen, don't even recognize that they've experienced trauma. We do this thing called the pain Olympics. My friend, Justine Froker, uh, she's a, mm-hmm. a speaker um, on this topic. And she came up or she told me about, I should say, I'm not sure if you came up with it, Justine, um, but told me about this thing called the pain Olympics, which is where we compare ourselves and our pain to other people that have gone through infertility or reproductive loss. And we say like, oh my gosh, well, they've just had four failed pregnancy attempts or it's just been a year for them or whatever. And, you know, I've been struggling with infertility for, you know, we struggled for, you know, for example, 15 years or had four losses or, or, you know, what do they know about pain or, or vice versa? I could say like, oh, we've gone through infertility for just a year um, and they've gone through it for 15 years. You know, our pain is nothing like theirs. And so we compare. And so we then minimize our own pain or maybe the pain of others and we disenfranchise each other. And, um, and so we, you know, we kind of minimize our own trauma. And so some of my work in therapy is just having people recognize that they've especially men, right? Mm-hmm. Because we talked about that a second ago, Stephen, like that they're experiencing trauma and it's okay that they're experiencing, yeah. you know, and that we can then suit our treatment for that, you know? I think what really kind of comes to mind and this might seem very random, but I think about trauma and like an infertility not everyone is going to be clinically significant for like depression, anxiety, or PTSD. There's going to handle people that can adjust to it. And I know like Brennan Peterson and I can't remember the other two authors, but had um, an article, which I can send if you haven't read it, but it's the infertility yeah. resilience model. So I'm looking at the resilience factors, right? Right. A part of me wonders, but people that have significant mental health related infertility how much of that is related to childhood trauma Mm. because if they have childhood trauma there's research that shows that as an adult their stress tolerance is a lot lower than those that have not had Mm. trauma Mm. so part of me wonders too 
when you were working with couples, especially with their distress of infertility, mm. should be also exploring what was their childhood like. Yeah. A hundred ten percent. That being like that trauma, like especially unprocessed trauma, trauma can bring up past trauma. Mm-hmm. And thinking about like it is an example, like if a woman you know has infertility or is experiencing the infertility journey and not had the greatest childhood and has a really not great relationship with their mother. I would imagine that maybe some of those thoughts would be, I don't now have, I don't have a chance now to correct my childhood. Mm. Yeah. You know, because how many times yeah. you're just like, I want to give my child a better childhood than I have. Yes. And now I don't even have that option. Yes. At least at that point in time, right? I mean, like they could be successful down the road, whatever, but I think it's just something like, like I said, an example. Yeah, and I think a lot of therapists, which you kind of speaks to why we need more education on it, but they kind of fall back on these narratives that we grew up with that are not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. So like Dr. Julia Wilbur had made an example um, or had talked with her at one point and we were talking about acceptance and commitment therapy Mm-hmm. and yeah. how do you validate the infertility experience by saying acceptance like that was something i initially had a hard time figuring out like how do you validate mm-hmm. that experience by saying like acceptance and acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it but just like accepting this is where we're at right now right right and she made a great example of like i said you have a therapist that is not really well versed in infertility doing cbt could be you you know saying like if a woman comes in or a couple comes in or a man comes in like i'm afraid i'm never gonna have children Mm. some that believe this narrative that's easy to get pregnant might say that that's an irrational thought right yeah exactly and very invalidating you know where with acceptance commitment therapy it's like you're right like that is a scary thing to think about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so if this speaks like you're not if you're not well versed in this you know Maybe we should be. Yeah. We're all versed in trauma. I mean, like everywhere you go, it's trauma-informed care, trauma-informed care in the workplace, trauma, you know, like. Right. We need to be talking about this part of it. Yeah. Trauma is really trendy right now. And yeah, I would love to see reproductive trauma be a part of that conversation, you know? Yeah. And especially. Well, and I think the hard thing too is most people in their 20s don't realize that infertility exists right unless they've had some sort of like family connection or Mm -hmm. parents may have gone through it or you know it just you know like it doesn't get talked about right you know like it's very rare that we have somebody that will talk about it no i don't know i'm also wanting to believe that you don't need to experience infertility to have empathy. Right. What it might be like. Yeah, exactly. There's this idea, like everywhere on social media that I have seen, a lot of people will say, it's like, well, you've never experienced infertility. You, know what it, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to go through this journey because you never experienced it. Mm. 
on some level it's true mm-hmm. but that's really true with anything right like i've never been like diagnosed with cancer right but i can imagine what maybe will go through my head like if i was mm-hmm. and i can read about what that experience is like for some people mm-hmm. also noting that everybody's different right you know right. so right. yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so you know I, gosh what you were saying just you know it brought up so many things you know first of all the childhood trauma i think that definitely makes sense you know and that's something that i've seen come up before in therapy and also for men how our reproductive story is so connected to our image of our own masculinity yeah you know? because for me you know and, and i talked about this a little bit in, in some of my writings but for me my so my dad is superman and my my brother is like a close second you know my brother's mm-hmm. quite a bit older than me and i've always idolized them and you know it, I, and i've always seen them as really masculine men right and and uh, you know my dad is a, is a contractor he does construction work my brother does the same thing and you know so me, I've always been kind of a, a bookish kid, you know, pretty nerdy. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm a therapist because I've, you know, have n- no idea how to build anything. If I tried to build a house, I'd probably burn it down, you know? Uh, so, uh, so, you know, whenever we started going through, you know, this infertility journey, it, when we experienced that kind of tear in, in my, in our tapestry, but, you know, we talk about me here since we're, you know, mm-hmm. talking about men. In particular, but my reproductive story was that I was going to be able to have children, and that was my way to connect to my masculinity because that was my dad did that. Mm-hmm. My brother has kids, and you know, but I can't. Is that another like blow to my masculinity? You know, like I'm suddenly less than as a man, and not only infertility, but male factor infertility. Yeah, you know, so. You know, and, and I'm I'm sure that there are, are lots of men that maybe don't feel that way about their infertility experience, um, but there are others I'm sure that do, and that can be a really tough thing to process and recognizing that you're grieving part of your perceived masculinity. You yeah, know? and it's okay to voice that, and it's okay to kind of grieve that, um, and that is trauma. Going back to what you were talking about, that yeah. is trauma. You know, we talk about. In therapy, a lot, we talk about ontological death, which is like the death of a dream, you know, and there's some research showing that, you know, that an ontological death, that our bodies react the same way as we do to the news of a physical death. And so our bodies are going through this extreme grief and trauma. And as men, I think it's really important to recognize that we might, we might be experiencing this. And you, and I like how you mentioned, Stephen, that there are probably men, couples out there that maybe aren't having this kind of experience. And I don't, and I want your listeners to know that that is okay. You know, <laughs> like that is okay. Yeah. Like you don't have to, like, if you, if you haven't had, you know, this kind of pain associated with your experience, then that's okay. Yeah. And also if you have, it's okay. And it's okay to seek help. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I had actually read some research and it was comparing the distress like between like women that had found out that they had diminished ovary reserved and other women that have had like diagnoses that may implicate 
that they'll have fertility struggles. So like PCOS or endometriosis. Right, right. Or had like uterine cancer. You know, like they basically they knew that they were going to have fertility issues. Right. And like what this research had shown was they literally like the people that found out they had been in familiar reserve had more psychological distress mm-hmm. than compared to the other group that had kind of already had known. Right. You know, part of that is is like I wonder how much distress they may have experienced in the beginning. Right. Can't go back and look at that, but um but to me like it's like it's like that shock value, right? Mm-hmm. It's that, oh, I have all in my mind that I'm I'm be able to have kids, I'm gonna have this family, and then all of a sudden when you're given information that completely changes your world and turns it upside down, there's like this more of like processing of like what does this mean? Right. Like what does this mean for us? Like what is this what what does our future then look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I have one last question. Sure. And you can have multiple answers to this, but <laughs> All right. for men that are going through infertility, whether that's the adoption route or they're going to decide that they're going to be foster parents or they're going through ITF or IUI, mm. some fertility journey, like what would be some advice that you'd get? that and through they're going through this Hmm. i think the first thing Stephen, i would tell just any guy that would come up and and talk to me about this i would i would ask what's your experience been really like what has your experience been really not like the experience that you've discounted you know or or you know uh not your wife's experience but your experience what did you really feel going through this journey and and then i would say you know it's okay to own that journey and you talked about acceptance and commitment therapy you know and how we can accept our journey i would tell them it 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 doesn't make you less of a man you know um Mm -hmm. and again that's kind of staying kind of the cognitive and staying up here um but that's that's a truth that i that i want to just kind of put out there for all men is that your masculinity, you know, you may feel that it's so connected to your ability to have a child. And also it is connected to so many other things. You know, our masculinity is expressed in so many amazing ways. Yeah. And and it's okay to to find out those ways and, and celebrate those things. And I would also say, don't be afraid to hurt alongside your spouse. You know, don't be afraid to say like, ah, this, this just sucks. And, and, and to not have an answer, you know, that is, that is okay to do. In fact, that is healthy to do. And, um, and also, gosh, find, find your dudes, like find your guys, you know, that, that are, that can validate you, that can, that can walk alongside you. Um, even if it's just have a beer with you and say nothing, you know, like, yeah, I, I felt so fortunate, Stephen. You know, my my wife and I are, are active in our church, and and you know, identify as a Christian. And there are men that are that are also Christians, so have similar worldview as me that I connected with. And as we started to go through this infertility experience, 
I reached out to them and, and just said, you know, guys, I am hurting. This sucks. I don't know if I can keep going like this. This is terrible. And not all of them reacted the way that was helpful. Yeah. But some did three guys in particular, Kevin, Chip, Logan, and also my friend, John, shout out to him and and my brother. Those guys came alongside me and validated me. Um, They uh, were willing to joke with me, you know, And, 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 and we were also able to like, just hang out and, you know, I'm from Kentucky, so I love whiskey, bourbon whiskey. So like, we just have a hang out, have a glass of bourbon. And, you know, if I want to talk about our infertility, great. If not, that's great too, you know, yeah. and, and just having that support is huge. And I'm recognizing right now, as I'm saying this, Stephen, that there's some of your listeners who are guys going through this that may not have that. And I'm going to encourage your, your listeners right now to, to reach out and take the risk. Because in doing that, I found out who could support me and who maybe didn't have the bandwidth to support me. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You know, those people that really didn't have the bandwidth to, to empathize with me or to support me, they still love me, but I just didn't share with them anymore <laughs> about infertility. Yeah. You know, I found my group and, and, and it was a small group, you know, a very small group, but they were very important to me. Um, and still are yeah yeah i could not agree more so you have to find your support and you like so you find support in many different ways so i would encourage men to you find other men that have gone through it connect Mm -hmm. with them because yeah the like it's very isolating and when you have somebody that's gone through it and kind of has an idea of what that's like not that everybody's journey is the same, everybody's is different, but you you get the gist of it, you know, and can say like I I've been there. Yeah. And that goes a long way. And to end on this, and that's what something that I always say is you never know who needs to hear your story. Mm-hmm. You could be in a room of five hundred people, you could be in a room of four. Mm-hmm. And that room of four, there's somebody that maybe is going through infertility. Right. All of our stories are powerful and it's worth sharing. And the great Brene Brown, you know, had said in one of her books, I'm paraphrasing, but the only way that we reduce stigma or stigma and shame mm-hmm. is by normalizing the situation. And we do that through conversation. Right. Absolutely. And as men, I think that is extremely important. Your story matters as a man, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Clayton, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and being on here. And yeah, it was great having you. Great yeah. Having you. yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Huge honor. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it was fun. I really appreciate what you're doing. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to the Miles Podcast. Miles Podcast is on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Overcast. If you could like, rate, subscribe, and share the podcast to help other men or other couples find it, it'd be greatly appreciated. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter for updates on future episodes and more content related to infertility and family building. As always, if you'd like to be a guest, please message me on my social media or email at themilespodcast at gmail.com. 
and I hope that you will continue this miles-long journey with me.